0: pod space nine the last out for trash in the alpha quadrant this is a rewatch podcast for star trek deep space nine featuring two veteran viewers and one newbie my name is justin and i'll be your way team commander joining me as my science officer Anna with our uh acting ensign jude jude Anna, how you doing
1: i'm we're back
2: baby i'm great because as Anna said we're back sag finally broke the studios uh like insert wrestler name here Breaks the back of insert other wrestler name with wrestling move here, and we are finally done with this lengthy strike.
0: Both the Writers Guild and SAG-AFTRA went roddy strong on the on on the AMPTP. Yeah, full on messiah of the backbreaker,
1: and like. I gotta say, I'm really excited for, like, what we get for TV in the next, like, whatever many years. Like, you know, I'm really hopeful that, you know, these changes will, that, you know, the wins that both SAG-AFTRA and the WJ made will, like, help make TV better. And I'm excited for that because TV kind of sucks right now, a little bit.
2: There was a bit of a golden age there, so to speak. And then things got kind of wrung out.
1: Also, I I can't wait for our listeners to listen to this in like four months when we release this
0: episode. This is episode 13 of the show. So (laughs) this will be coming out approximately here in like January or February. Yeah. If we, if we release things weekly, but we've still got backlog.
2: But I agree with you. I'm excited to see. I mean, writers and actors who have achieved a victory and go back to work energized will no doubt create more interesting content and with a structure in place to support them better they'll they'll be in a position to create that content as well so hopefully we get some more interesting stuff uh mm-hmm. we'll see uh none of it matters to us because we'll still be reviewing science fiction shows that are 30 years old, but we're with you in spirit, the future. (laughs) Oh, but we, we do care. I'm sorry because we want a new Babylon five show. Well, want may be a strong word. We are (laughs) against our wills invested in the potential for a, a a Babylon five reboot. And uh, so we do care about what comes next.
1: We, we, we approach a new Babylon five show with a mixture of, of trepidation and excitement.
0: Do you know what I just realized? What was that? We have to watch The Road Hope now. Uh-huh. Oh, we do? Yep. I have I've not watched it because of the str- because uh, yeah. because I was like I wanted to I'm excited for it. I'm
2: excited for it. So we'll,
0: we'll have, we'll also have to schedule that.
1: Maybe maybe that can be our like, you know, Christmas special. Watch, our hogs watch uh gift to our yeah. listeners.
0: Okay, yeah. Well. Well, we well, well, yeah, we'll we'll put that in the
1: and Jude and Jude reads in Discworld, then you can find out what Hogswatch is.
2: Maybe as a Christmas gift to Zathras, I will read.
0: You should. Oh, you would. Hogfather is great. It is a book yeah. about people steal. It is literally how how like the how like the arch villains of the universe stole Christmas. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's like the Grinch stealing Christmas, except that the Grinch was like the personification of evil.
2: I'm invested in that.
1: And, and death, and death, capital D, death saves Christmas.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. I mean, I am sort of like, hasn't really been a year since I last watched it, but like now, like the, the Hogfather BBC special is now like. It's legit great. Right. It's legit great. Right. It's, it's entered into my holiday rotation. Okay. Um. Tonight, we are covering
2: two episodes of Star Trek.
0: These are two episodes of season two, episodes nine and ten.
2: Two episodes of television that someone made for Star Trek, which is about the most you can say about them. Although we will say more.
0: Second Sight and uh, Sanctuary. And I realized that I didn't put my notes in either of these, uh, which is great because I didn't have to I, I was not doing summaries for either of these uh which was a nice break because for the last um <laughs> checks watch i was doing the summaries for bad pod die um and
1: but you did them so well justin yeah yes. i know
0: it, it was really i felt a personal ownership of them but it, it was nice to just take notes for once
1: yeah
2: yeah uh i've got second sight our first one so uh I, I will go right into it uh Episode 9 of the second season Second Sight was a story by Mark Garrett O'Connell, teleplay by Mark Garrett O'Connell and Ira Stephen Bear, and Robert Hewitt Wolf directed by Alexander Singer.
1: When you have a long list of names you just know it's going to be a good one, right?
2: Nothing makes a horse like a committee, as they say. Uh <laughs> We start out with Cisco personal logging about nearly letting the fourth anniversary of Wolf 359 pass by without realizing leaving him sleepless. He consoles Jake over a nightmare and they briefly touch on their shared grief. Later walking on the promenade Cisco meets a mysterious woman named Fena who vanishes mid conversation. The next morning Cisco is full of pep much to the dismay of Kira who does not appreciate his good mood or his change in morning routine. I feel you Kira. Uh, he's called to Dax's lab to meet with a terraformer named Sayadik, who I can't recall if I'm pronouncing that right, but in my head, it, it, it's just Say-Dick in my head.
0: It, it's, it's say attack. say a yeah, whatever. Say attack.
2: He's a dick, so I'm gonna going to keep going Sayadick, who, as in my notes, I describe as a jolly braggart, but it really gets <laughs> worse the more he talks. He has a new, even more impressive plan, to reignite a dead star for his next project, his plan for doing this is so scientifically dubious, even by Star Trek standards, your eyes will roll right back into your head and collide with your brain. So don't listen.
0: <laughs> I know enough about astronomy that, like, this is sketchy to me. <laughs>
1: yeah, and it that, really like, is.
0: I think that I think that like I, like I think that Trick is usually okay about this, but this plan, like. Usually, like Star Trek plan, Star Trek like science at least tries to pass a smell test.
2: This smells like a dead raccoon, is what it smells like. <laughs> anyway, over a meal on the promenade, Cisco misses half of Dax's work chatter, uh, mooning over the previous evening's mysterious woman and hoping she'll walk by. But she doesn't appear until he's alone. They flirt and chat and, and walk. But it appears that Sisko does most of the talking, as once he tries to ask her about her own background, she gets cagey and flees. Jake and Sisko talk circumspectly about the woman, Fena, and when Sisko admits that she keeps disappearing, he ends up going to Odo to try and track her down. He is less than helpful to Odo about giving details, but Odo says he'll do what he can, considering Odo has no... Can you describe her? Hmm?
1: Can you describe her? She was wearing red. Yes. That is the... Okay, okay. So, do you want
0: to know the most fucking infuriating thing of working in a library or a bookstore? Oh, mm-hmm. yes. Um, which, which I have about, between those, about five a half decade of experience. It is somebody saying, I'm looking for a book. It's blue. Yeah, they
2: describe the cover. <laughs> or uh, I worked at a Borders, if you remember those, uh, during the heyday of Oprah's book club. And they would come in and try and describe the cover of whatever it, what Oprah's book club book was, but not want to say it was Oprah's book cl- club book. Because they didn't want to admit that's where they heard about it from. Uh uh-huh. And then you would finally, once you cottoned on to what was going on, you'd just be like, Oprah's book club is over there. And they'd be like, oh, 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 is is that the book club book th- th- right now? Yeah, th- it's over there. Just ask for it. We, we're happy that you're reading. We're happy to sell you the book. Nobody's judging. I mean, yes, we're judging you, but nobody's going to, like, judge you to your face. You'll never know it. Anyway, uh Considering Odo has no ethical boundaries for all intents and purposes about his job, we assume that Odo will figure something out. While Cisco waits for Odo to find his new mystery girlfriend, the command staff joins Say Dick on his ship for drinks. I guess. It's not clear what's going on here. Uh, mostly, the guy talks about what a huge asshole he is. He ends up introducing them to his wife, Nadelle, a.k.a. Fena. Over dinner, the visibly bored Nadell listens to her husband's bullshit and tries not to fall asleep. Sisko eventually steals a moment with her, and it is clear she has no fucking clue who he is. Back on DS9, Sisko is a sad, confused boy. Odo tells him that it can't be Nadell he's been talking to, as no one has left the Prometheus, Sadex ship, except him. Which raises some questions... Is he just, like, not giving anyone on his ship fucking shore leave?
1: I think it's basically just, like, a shuttle. I think it's really, like... Well, no, it's... Uh, yeah. You look at it... Like, like, I think it says personal, the scale like, of the ship, it's his personal,
2: like, space yacht. It's not enterprise size, but it's big enough. He's got crew.
1: Yeah,
0: I mean, like, it, it's... The, the Phoenix is a Nebula-class uh, ship. Like, it might be that it's, like, it is... My my headcanon is that it is it is... One, because it's like involving like stellar stuff, it's running on a skeleton crew for like safety purposes and that everybody's busy with like preparing the the project.
2: Or maybe he's just a dick, which would be more narratively consistent uh, and require less outside knowledge. So no one has left the Prometheus, say Dick's ship, except him the whole time it's been here. Even Quark tries to comfort him. Quark tries to comfort him. I, we'll get into this in the notes, but I love that everybody on the station is so supportive of Cisco getting back out there and getting some action. Yeah, there is literally nobody on it's the station. that is not like there. Nobody's dunking on him. Nobody's giving him a hard time. Everybody is just like, "I'm there for you, bro." Quark unironically brings him a drink and tries to console him.
0: Yeah. It's fucking yeah, I, 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 amazing. There's no like, mal- there's no like, there's no like, like, Oh, I'm doing this as a joke. Cork is like, literally is like, Hey, yeah, if you want to have some guy talk, like, you know, I, I'm, I'm here for you. And I'm just, it. it is honestly like the, the, the contrast between like Cisco, like face at the prospect with dating to like, any other captain, where it's like
2: I said this in my notes. I said the fact that when Cisco looks like he's gonna date, everybody's like supportive and it's heartwarming. When Picard has a girlfriend on the ship, everybody looks grossed out and uncomfortable.
1: And it's not because <laughs> I mean, every okay, okay, everybody likes a Bash. Well, yes, yeah, nobody yeah. likes it's that just-
2: Bash is dating Picard though. Everybody looks uncomfortable around Picard and Vash. Well, they just because like Because Vash.
0: Vash is like a criminal. Um, <laughs> I'm and, just saying, let's face it, nobody Picard's likes
2: only, the idea of Picard boning down.
0: Picard's only other romantic interests are Dr. Crusher, who, frankly, no, the whole, no, is too good yeah, for him. No. Even yeah. as a ghost I mean, fucker, she's whole, too good for him. It's a whole, you're, you're, you're dead bros. Wife thing, yeah, and Q, and nobody ever wants to fucking see Q.
2: <laughs> he has like, doesn't he have like a cavalcade of random archaeologist lady folk? No, it's just
1: a Bash over and over again.
2: Is it? Well, whatever. <laughs> it's, it's still...
1: and, and she, she is surprisingly only in
0: two episodes of TNG.
1: Really? Yeah, and yet, and yet, her her presence permeates the the whole show.
2: My recollection is, per- it's like burned in my brain that Picard meets a bunch of random women in archaeological circumstances none of whom the the crew are comfortable being around i could i apparently i'm wrong anyway
0: i feel like you have i feel like you've created this narrative and your like your memory has created uh like has created fake episodes of TNG to fill it it's, I'll write it's those like episodes. The, it's
1: like the the mass hallucination that like kirk is like a blowhard womanizer and it's like, no, you're thinking of Shatner.
2: Yeah. Suddenly, Fena shows up again in his quarters. He tries to quiz her and get more information, and she gives increasingly vague answers. And finally, Cisco's like, fuck it, let's smooch. And then she turns into energy and vanishes. Okie dokie. Not solving that problem, Cisco uh, decides to just head off with the Prometheus to light up a star, while Sadik waxes douchik about his work, and how much his wife worships him, despite all evidence to the contrary. When Sisko goes to his quarters later that day, Fena's there again. This time he's looking for for solutions and answers, so he summons the most the most reasonable person he knows, Dax, who shows up and gives her a a, a wave of the science box, and tells him that she's got no DNA, no cells, she's pure energy. Uh, they take Fenna to go see Sadik and they find Sadik and Nadell, who is the latter of whom is on the cusp of death. Uh, And Sadik immediately recognizes Fena, scolding her that Nadell said she'd never come back. Sadik finally fesses up and explains it. Uh, Nadell's species are projective telepaths, and when distressed, they lose control of their powers. She's so depressed about having to be married to this asshole and unable to leave him since they mate for life that she's killing herself, projecting into a new life away from him. Sadik decides that to free her, he's going to commit suicide via shuttle and smash his shuttle into the sun that needs reigniting, thereby freeing her and completing his life's work of reigniting this dumb dead star. In the end, Nadell is awake and alive and free, has no memory of Fena. And leaves to go back to her people's homeworld of H- new Halana. Uh...
0: So I have a random thing that just seems like the most like that you can place this episode in a certain time period. Mm-hmm. The fact that the anniversary of Wolf 359 goes by without like it being a huge thing on the station like, shows that this was pre-911. Yeah. 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 That's super sure. true. Uh, I mean, Starfleet is, like, the Federation and Starfleet is not an insane, like, imperialist, revanchist, jacking-off society. They're not so, America. I mean, noted. maybe they just don't anymore, but it's also, like, the cultural permeation of how writer brain works.
2: But also, like, yes, but you would think that for an event that killed such an enormous percentage of starfleet that like at a minimum more than one person on the station would be moping
1: yeah. yeah like you know you'd think that this would be a day that like you know they'd have the like you know moment of silence or something like that and then maybe just go back to work but like you know ha- take take a take a breath
0: yeah yeah. I mean, maybe it's just that, like, the Federation does, like, is not a a society that, do, like, that does, I you know, that doesn't memorializes do stuff
2: like mass that. death. Yeah. So my notes on this episode. <laughs> it's a new war. Yeah.
0: I mean,
1: well, I mean. But that was far in the past. Far in the that, past.
0: That, that, is, that is the 22nd century pre Federation. Mm hmm and also written post 9/11. <laughs> yes. It's 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 li- like you can like the the reaction that characters have and that like organizations have to like mass traumatic events is just so different between 2000 anything written after like 2002 onwards and pre-2000 it is like two different cultures. Mm. Yeah. It's insanity.
2: Uh things about this episode. Uh, Cisco's a really good dad.
1: yeah, yeah,
2: and I think that's great. Like his whole moment in the opening of this episode with Jake talking about like drawing drawing him into the conversation about his dreams and trying to get him comfort him and then talking about, you know the fact that they're both kind of talking about the fact that they miss Jennifer is such a good scene. And speaking from a place of like being a father, I don't know if it necessarily hits as solidly to someone who isn't a parent that like that shit's hard. And like those moments are hard and seeing Cisco be so empathic with his son, especially knowing when the show was made is really, really cool. Yeah. Because that that version of masculine caring, even today, is not always standard fair. Uh so I, I I really appreciate every time we see the way that they depict Cisco's relationship with Jake. Conversely, I also love that Jake takes care of his dad a little bit. And he flips it around yeah. and is like you're showing all the signs of heartbreak according to no- that Nog taught me. And <laughs> I love A, that he's right. And B, that that Cisco is like, I love that Jake's trying to take care of his dad and he's like saying, it's okay if you want to date. Like it's been some years. Like we can, Like that's cool. I support you. But also I love that like Nog has this system for identifying it. That is fucking spot on. Right. That like nails Cisco to the wall. It's so good.
1: And you once again see that moment of like, as soon as Jake says like, Nog told me Cisco's like filing this away for like, we will discuss this later. Yeah. (laughs) Because like, why is my son getting sex ed from the Ferengi again? Yeah. Oh Uh, man. the, the, The other thing that like, yeah, you know, again from the very start of the episode. The the whole thing of like hitting hitting the like anniversary and realizing that you've forgotten it. That is that is a whole mood right there. And mm-hmm. like go you know, like that you've kind of like hit a good place in your life and then you hit there like on on the day of the anniversary, being like, Oh shit, I'm a terrible person. Yeah. And, like, that just ruining your day.
2: Yeah. This episode actually starts out really strong. Um, yeah. It's just a shame that the back half <laughs> is so dumb and so
0: bad. Because of the serial, because of, like, the episodic nature of Star Trek, th- this is, like, there's, like, the subgenre of one-episode romances. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think some of those are, like, character-defining. Um, and like, Captain's Holiday for one, like Captain's Holiday with with Picard and Vosh, where it's like that is like a significant thing.
2: Sometimes you fuck a ghost.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, like, yeah, the the ghost, the ghost.
1: I mean,
2: for better or for worse, that's character defining.
1: Yeah. Computer, delete the wife. <laughs> God,
0: but. And and I think it's like it's an interesting, like sub Like it's this weird like subgenre of romance episodes where it's like we all, we have to inter- we introduce this one person, and you know that, and they will only be here for this one episode, and they will then leave. And this will, I find it really interesting that originally this was a Bashir plot.
1: Fascinating, interesting. I did not. That makes um,
2: perfect. No, that makes perfect sense.
1: I, for, I forgot to I forgot to trawl the the production stuff on these. Yeah, the production yeah. notes
0: for this one are fascinating because the original idea was that it was going to be uh, Bashir and like and, and and the whole thing of it was that nobody else sees the woman and it's a mystery, It's like a it's like a mystery or ghost story almost. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, of like like it's it's a gothic using the station as like the haunted mansion.
1: Yeah, and and they retained some of that at least, at least in the first half.
0: Yeah, the, the the they decided to change it to Cisco because they felt like they wanted to like that they were sort of like Cisco was becoming too distant from the rest of the cast, and yeah. they wanted to sort of like rehumanize him.
2: And angling and, it off of the Wolf Three Five Nine thing kind of works. It makes sense that anytime you would have a shitty bush romance rom com episode, it would at some point have been written with Bashir in mind. <laughs>
1: I I do love all of the interpersonal stuff with the, you know, the station characters in this one though. Like, it's legitimately good. Like at the start of the episode
0: where Cisco's like, uh, where he says to O'Brien, uh, like if you, re- if you ran a station where everything worked, you'd be
1: miserable. And O'Brien's like, <laughs> Probably, but I'd like to try for like five fucking minutes.
2: Yeah. That whole opening sequence is terrific. The look yeah. on Kira's face when he gets the tea and Kira is just like, no, no, this isn't what the mornings are. It's just so good. I also, I'm going to fast forward here a little bit because it's so perfect. In the scene where uh, Sadik is just filleting himself egregiously in public <laughs> <laughs> While they stand around having drinks. The look on Kira's face is so good. She is just like a hundred percent done with this motherfucker.
1: And O'Brien too.
2: My favorite. Yeah. She's like sassing him just a little bit. And in the background, O'Brien is like holding his drink up here by his chest, standing off to one side with this look on his face of what, am, why am I here? What, what's what what am I doing here? This is so uncomfortable. It's so good. There's this one frame of him where he's looking almost right at the camera. It's practically out of the office where he's just like staring towards the camera looking so awkward. <laughs> I have never felt more seen in a Star Trek episode <laughs> than in oh, the engineer standing in the corner of the room, not sure how to interact while the rest of the while the social officers talk. My god.
0: Yeah. so we have an i know that voice really who should we call it Nadell slash feta is played by sally richardson who is eliza in gargoyles
1: no shit
2: that's cool
0: yeah
1: now that's now that's something that i need to watch still i have not seen gargoyles ever
2: that is a fucking great show
1: well we can put we can put it on the list right
2: I, I mean, that is such a good show. And there's so much to go into there. I'd 100% do that. Um, and it connects to Star Trek because almost everyone that, every, is, that was every on action. TNG shows up <laughs> as a regular voice, as a voice somewhere in, star, in that show. Jonathan Frakes, Marina Sirius are both regulars on that show, voices on that show.
1: Incredible. Okay, okay, you've got you you've sold me. Yeah.
2: Uh what's his name? David Keith is the voice of Goliath. Yeah. Got such a fucking good cast. Dude, Jonathan Frakes as Xanatos, the like quasi-villain. He is so good as this like Elon Musky, super, <laughs> super rich guy who is just all I mean, anyway, we can, Yeah. we can talk about this later, but it's a fucking great show. And, but that actually tracks, like, I can hear that now that you said it, Justin. Yeah. Like I'm going back and I'm hearing this episode in my head and I can hear it.
0: The, um, the yeah. other, like uh, so a, fu- a funny production note is that Santec is, uh, based off of, uh, a claim of like legendary Hollywood director, John Houston. <laughs> um which just feels like a very like yeah that's an ellie like he's the guy who did uh gosh God, uh maltese falcon african queen like the original moulin rouge um that wild. is not a
2: flattering depiction
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's and, and of course he's and of course his ship is named the prometheus too right oh yeah Which
0: is not the first, or or will not be the last USS Prometheus.
1: Yeah. Um, Although I cannot think of a starship named Prometheus without just thinking of SG-1. Like, there's no other Prometheus. Yeah. I, I, I always want to dislike this episode, but I never do. Like, yes, it is deeply stupid, but like, Avery Brooks... Oh, yeah. Absolutely sells the like Cisco with a crush, and it's so cute. And like, I love it.
2: Uh, So, after I wrote my notes, I went and looked up this episode because one of the things I was thinking of is like, this has to be one of those like skip episodes when people make their like watch or skip list things. I'm sure that this is an episode that gets put on the skip list, but I think it's a shame.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's 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 put on the skip list because there aren't like nothing important happens in the episode. Yeah. I mean, like air air quotes important, like there are nothing important that you can put on a wiki or a summary.
2: Well, but I looked it up and it's considered one of the five worst episodes of DS9. Which I think, I think but, we also, have but also already, come al-
1: but also move along. Home is probably one of those five, and so you know that that ep- that list is wrong. Right? Well, yeah, yeah.
2: Well, I was just gonna say we've already seen five episodes. I like less than this episode.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: I think this one is fun. It's and again, as you say, Avery Brooks, mm. his charisma and charm carries this episode, and the the warmth that this station has for him. Really sells this episode. Yes, the back half of the episode is dumb, and Sadik is legitimately uh, an awful white man in this episode. And I have questions about how he ended up married. A guy with multiple, it's implied, failed marriages ends up <laughs> like in married, the double
1: digits, I think,
2: ends up married to a woman of a species that marries for life. That feels real gaslighty to me. Yeah like hmm, none of my wives will stay. so let's go marry marry a species that doesn't leave. That's the solution.' not,
1: not work I'm not, on myself. I'm not, convinc- I'm not convinced on that. I think that he was just so arrogant. he never looked it up because like he seems kind of like when when kind of when called out on it, at least he seems like genuinely upset that Fena is like so miserable. Yeah. Um, he just like would never admit it,
2: except that he gets to the point where he's talking about it, and he's like they always leave, they get to know me, and then they yeah. leave
1: i but i think I think that he was just assuming that, like, like all of his other wives, like she would leave, like get like a boatload of like whatever the Federation uses as alimony, and like they would go their separate ways. Um, and then like later read the fine print on the Halanins and was like, ah, shit.
2: Yeah, you're giving them a lot more credit than I do.
0: <laughs> yeah. So there's a funny moment in this episode that will cause a problem in about ten episodes. <laughs> um, so Gay, Ge- so so Seatek and Cisco discuss Klingon poetry in this episode. Of um, the poem is from the Fall of Kang, which is about Kang's last battle, and so
1: <laughs> I can't. I
0: have to. wonder.
1: That's gonna be. That's gonna be a. That's gonna be a problem when we see a certain character, isn't it? Yeah. So they have. So like I'm gonna guess, guess like that the,
2: Kang is gonna is gonna show up in ten episodes based
0: on the yeah. context.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. Because in ten episodes, we get one of the best episodes of this entire fucking show. Yeah. They,
0: they, so, like, not not a like you you don't like not a huge spoiler, but they bring back some of the original Klingons with the thing, original from a- like the sixties.
1: Yeah,
2: which makes it complicated if they said he's dead.
1: Like,
0: yeah. So they apparently ha- so they apparently had to go into like a handbook a couple years down the road and like say no, this is another Kang. <laughs> Like, like the poem is talking about a different king who was also a famous warrior, which oh, is very funny to me. Yeah,
2: God, uh, fucking Star Trek, I love it. God. It's. Uh. Okay
1: th- this this episode is one I actually I actually never skip because like it's dumb but it's fun you know yeah and like. He-
0: You get like it's a good it's it's like, yeah, you get like a good feeling of like Cisco and the community of the station throughout it. And like, you know, I like a nice like weird romance thing, even if it's like Mm -hmm. Cisco attempting to like he he is saved from ghost fucker memes uh, only (laughs) through like the fortune of a plot.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
0: it's a fun romance and I
1: like that. Who doesn't enjoy Avery Brooks having to crush?
0: Yeah, no. Avery Brooks is charming as hell and Yeah. Um he his, his thankfully his like his future dating will go a lot better.
2: That's good to know.
1: Cisco always comes across as like the type of dude who you could actually see like having your relationship with because like he's such a like he's such a great guy, you know? Like yeah. just in general.
2: Yeah. I love his interaction with Dax when they're talking about the, uh, about it the first time where Dax is like, eh, I heard somebody's got a girlfriend and he's like, no, there's nothing to talk about. And Dax is like, is it because I'm a woman? I get it. It's weird. It can be weird. But we used to talk about everything. It's like, no, really, there's nothing to talk about. That whole interaction would be very creepy and weird. With a different, with certain other characters or in other shows, yeah. But it plays as so nicely as as him just being like, "No, really, nothing to say yet. Just somebody I met." TBD. And Dax is just so genuinely excited for him, and is yeah. like, "If it's a woman thing, it's cool. I can still be a bro. I just want to. I just want to be there when you like. Please talk to me about this. I want the tea." Yeah. Uh, it's just very good. I just like that everybody likes Cisco.
1: They have such they have such good friend chemistry.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, do we want to go on anything anything else, or do we want me to go on to Sanctuary?
2: No, let's talk about some acne aliens.
1: <laughs> oh, thank thank you for that. I didn't I didn't discuss that in my summary, but we can we can discuss they, that. They
0: flake. They flake in episodes and. Have this, uh, uh,
1: um, so this is episode 10 of season two, Sanctuary, story by Gabe Esso and Kelly Miles, teleplay by Frederick Rappaport and directed by Les Landau. Uh, once again, you know, we've got the story and teleplay by entirely different people. Always boats real well. Uh, so we start with Kira having a no good, very bad day after dealing with irrigation logistics, um, being late with the duty roster and dealing with Quark's complaints that the Bajoran Virtuoso, currently performing like for free in his bar, uh, isn't being sufficiently peppy with his music choices. However, don't worry, it's about to get worse. Um, A damaged ship comes through the wormhole containing four aliens whose language the Universal Translator cannot parse. Kira has to... Stall, but the translator catches up, and also uh, escort all the new guests to sickbay and to their quarters. Uh, eventually, the translator kicks in, and we learn that the guests are Screen refugees, and that there are three million more of them on the other side of the wormhole, in need of a new home. Skrions have a legend of a place called Kentana on the other side of what they call the Eye of the Universe. Which they're interpreting as the wormhole. The leader of this group is a woman named Hanik, who quickly befriends Kira and also reveals that their society is led by women, as their men are too emotional. Yeah, it tracks. The station staff manage to find the rest of the Korean fleet, and they start coming through with DS9 attempt to be a staging ground, while Cisco and Dax find a suitable uninhabited planet for the refugees. Unfortunately, this leads to cultural tension and conflict, um, you know, amongst others between Nog and the Skrian teens, particularly Hanik's son, Tumak. But good news, good news, everybody. Sisko and Dax have done it. They found a planet, Drelon 2. Well, as it turns out, Hanik also has good news. She and the other Skrian matriarchs have also found a planet that matches all of their prophecies about Kentana. It's Bajor. The provisional government considers their request uh, to settle on Bajor and ultimately denies it. Although the Skrians have located an area that they could potentially settle and farm, Bajor doesn't want the responsibility of aiding them if their plans go amiss. And the land that they've uh, been eyeing has been absolutely fucked by the Cardassians. And uh, farming it is a dubious proposition at best. Uh, the Scurians say that Bajor would not be expected to step in if they ran into trouble, but the Bajoran ministers are like, wait, what, like, obviously we would, what are you talking about? Um, we're not, like, cruel, like, actively, yeah, I to, probably. I have to
2: kind of empathize with the Bajoran government here. Yeah, like, yeah, I, yeah. Get that I mean, we can, we can get
1: into this, but yeah.
2: Like, no, we're not going to let three million people starve. Obviously, we're going to do something if your attempts to farm war-torn, irradiated land don't work as well as you'd like them to.
1: Right. Yes, we're going to yeah. do
2: something. Yes, we're going to consider the implications of that burden on our war-ravaged, occupation-ravaged economy. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we're going to consider the impact of that. You can't just say, don't mind us, we'll be over here in the corner. Like,
1: Right. Yeah. Anyway. But yeah, anyway, so the, the Bajorans ministers state that they wouldn't be able to ignore such a situation um, and still refuse. Hanik is furious um, and also blames Kira for all of this. And uh, Tumac also is furious. Uh, but while Hanik just scolds Kira for her, you know, uh, sudden but inevitable betrayal, uh, Tumac leaves the station in a dangerously malfunctioning shuttle and heads toward the planet. Tragically, after Tumek refuses to answer Hails, Sisko is unable to stop a pair of Bajoran defense ships from accidentally destroying the shuttle with a warning shot. Ultimately, the screens leave for Drelon too, and Kira attempts to restart her friendship with Hanik. But the screens still maintain that Bajor is making a mistake. The two species could have helped each other move forward. She scolds Kira once again for the Bajoran's mistrust and states that Kira was right. Bajor is not Kentana. Ugh, what a fucking stinker of an episode, Jesus Christ. Speaking of things that are on the skip list. I
0: did not like this episode. Okay, I really feel uncomfortable with, like, some of the ways that the screens are portrayed in this episode. Yeah. Because it's... I'm trying, I'm like, I am super, like, I'm trying to be, like, generous with this, but, like, I think, like, on an unconscious level, it's like dirty people from another culture try like wanting yeah. to settle on it. And I'm like it it is messy. Yeah. I I I honestly appreciate the messiness of the situation and I think that it makes for an interesting story and I just think that part of it is that like we don't get that story until like halfway through the episode.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Something that could have been interesting, I I think you would have seen, I think this, this is a story structure that I think would have been like more, it wasn't there yet in Star Trek or even really in television. But I think this could have been a better story if it had cooked for like three or four episodes as a B plot. Yeah. culminating as an A plot in like one or two episodes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Yeah. like, if they'd had the screens and then had, essentially, time pass and other things happen, like, while the screens are kind of on the station and filtering in through the wormhole before they, like, while they're trying to find the planet. I think that that would have worked really well.
0: Yeah. But I, I, like, that's not really how TV was made back then. But I think it's, like, making this a single episode, I think, means that, like, you have to, you spend half of the episode on the awkward first contact. And the back half of it is then when you get to the real moral dilemma.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of little bits and pieces of it that work, but it just doesn't come together well. And none of the things that work with one exception, none of the things that work are related to the screens. Like everything about them is a miss it in by at least one degree. Like, the stuff that works is all station stuff and Bajoran stuff.
1: It's trying to do too many things with the screens. Like, we have the, like, refugee analog thing. We've spent... It spends, like, fully, like, a third of the episode with the communication problem, mm-hmm. where they can't even talk to these guys. And, like, so we that's a whole bunch of time that they've spent, like, you know, dealing with that. There's the whole, like you know thing where they're trying to do something with the like matriarchal society yeah. um and that just like ends up being a big wet fart like <laughs> yeah. like yeah you know, all of these things like if they'd focused on one of these things mm-hmm. like if they'd focused on just the communication problem or like just the cultural differences with the, like, matriarchal society, or just the refugee problem, it might have worked, but, like, trying to mash all of those things into one, like, ugh. I think
0: maybe it not, but I think maybe one of the parts of the problem is that everybody's too nice in this episode. Yeah. Um, And I mean, I think, honestly, I mean, it makes everybody blameless in the end, which I think, I think does resonate of like he sometimes shit sucks and there isn't a perfect solution. Yeah. But to be fair, um, I think <laughs> that, um, I this is one of those things where I'd love to see what second contact with the screens looks like when the USS, um, Bakersfield to, to name a random <laughs> California city, uh, visits it in like five years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. because I feel like, like, yeah, maybe, like, I feel like that there could be, like, an interesting thing where, like, the Screens settle on this world, and, I don't know, like, even, and, and how their culture works with being denied their promised land. Like, are they resentful of the Bajorans? Do they send, like, their farmers, do they send, like, agricultural help to Bajor? Like, yeah. Know, these are questions that I have. That Or that, do they like, just
1: send, like, a big, you know, big double... You know, yeah. flip the bird at the B- at Bajor after all that. And, yeah. like, meanwhile, uh, and, and we've got Hanik, like, blaming Kira personally for this whole situation when it's like, man, she's just a minor, like, military person, like, posted to the, like, place where she won't get into fucking trouble because she's, like, there with, like, liaising yeah. with the Federation. She's like
2: specifically weird. there because they don't like her.
1: Yeah, like... How is she going to convince all of these ministers? Which, funny
0: thing, what, the minister who, like, comes to say, I'm sorry, we can't do this, uh, is played by Arvid Shiverman's wife. <laughs> Incredible. Love
2: There's that. another really interesting guest star. There's a B5 connection in this episode. Oh, huh? Tumac is yeah. played by Andrew Koenig.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Um... So
2: it's two degrees off B5. Um,
1: yeah.
2: He is the son of... Your favorite Psycop and mine, Walter Koenig.
1: Fascinating. I I thought he looked familiar. Yeah. So I guess that's that family resemblance. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, like, and, you know, honestly, like, I'm, you know, I I empathize with Bejor on this one because, like, you know, I could totally see them being like, yeah, like, this does not sound like a good plan. Like. No, it's not. And the screens aren't proposing, like, a pilot project or anything. It's like, okay, we want to move down to this, like, you know, strip-mined, um, irradiated section of Bejor, And, like, we're just going to settle there and, like, it'll be fine. Like, they're not doing, like, you know, they're not doing, like, a pilot project and, like, you know, feasibility studies or anything like that. They're just like, no, we're, we just want to beam down, like, right now and, like, don't worry about it.
0: Yeah, which is like it, it's like yeah, it it, it is Well okay, let's Yeah.
2: Look. I think we I think we, the the cast and I'll speak for Zathrus and crew of Bab Pod are all in favor of supporting refugees. Let's yes. be clear on that. Yeah. But injecting three million people of a completely alien culture. It took the universal translator like two hours to fucking catch up, which was a cool bit, I thought.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: And and I honestly, like the thing of like,
0: like I I wish that was a bit more often, but that, yeah. that's yeah. a whole other-
2: so taking three million of these people with an utterly divorced culture, dropping them into a a peninsula, an utterly desolate peninsula While your economy and food base is fucked. While you're recovering for an occupation.
1: The Bajorans are epsilon away from being refugees themselves. They are just refugees on their own planet.
2: Yeah. Nobody is saying, and their reason for rejecting them is not, fuck you guys and your weird acne skin. Their reason is not any of that. They're like, we have another planet over here, but we can't, you know, we cannot absorb you. And then if things go wrong, have to, we have to step in. Like if you, (laughs) we can't absorb 3 million people. And then when your farming doesn't go as well as you hope it will like absorb the shock of that. Our society is too fragile. And, and
1: and Bajor isn't even a federation world. So like asking you know, expecting the Federation to step in would be like, you know, would be a whole yeah. other proposition too.
2: Yeah, having putting it all on Bajor, who is barely on its own feet, is buck wild. Settling them on their own world, liaising with, with the Federation, that's a much more sensible option. And I think that's the part that is wild is like Bajor's trying to do a a responsible thing for everyone involved. And they're sort of cast as villains in this for like not doing the feel good ending.
0: I think that there is, I don't think, I I think out of the three of us, you will find, you will, you will find that I keep for the government, the Bajoran civilian government, the least um, of, but even I'm like, yeah, no, like, there there is a a responsibility of care um yeah. that like you have as a world, and it is like you know like the minister's like yeah no we you we would have like you would be, you can't like if we let you settle there, you will become citizens of Bajor, and therefore we have to help you because that yeah. is we are because Bajor is a complicated but they are a compassionate people, and like and the only other way like we could say that is like, okay, we are giving away part of our planet to another species. If like like the only like you know, the only way we could like divorce ourselves from that responsibility of care would be to like say this is not Bajor anymore, which is yeah I
1: dubious. think Yeah. I mean I mean when you're playing Star Trek Infinite and you get you know you get the pops <laughs> from other places and they settle <laughs> on your planet you you are responsible them for them. They are your pops now. Yeah. That the vi- the video game says that this is how this works.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think it's I think it's like it's a I, I it's one of those things where it's just like I understand that like why we never see this again. I just think that it's like I think that for such a fraught and complicated it's it's one of those things that i'm like i wish that there was you know a book or something or i'm you know this feels like it would be like a great like federation history footnote or something like yeah there you know it'd be okay this would be a great this would be a great idea i would paramount if you're listening um (laughs) <laughs> I'm giving you this one for free, but if you want me to write it, I'll do it. I would love a book that is like written as like a federation, like it's like a Starfleet Academy textbook or something. But it's all of the weird moral dilemmas and how they got settled and what they're like ten or twenty years down the road. i yeah. read and, the shit out of that. And yeah, like same, what? And, and like how? Post scarcity federation philosophers like look back at those decisions.
2: that yeah. be super interesting. I yeah. I feel
0: like because it's like like I mean like with what we are given in the scenario, it's like yeah, there's no real possible way to say who's doing the right thing here. But it's like you know, okay, how does this develop? How does this how does this progress past the point where the main characters stop being involved? Which. Yeah. Granted this is the point of a television series when the main characters are not involved anymore that problem goes away. But um but that's I, what
1: memory beta is for.
0: Yeah, and I do feel like that is sort <laughs> of I do feel like that most of the time DS9 avoids this problem because problems do not go away. They don't move along. They are still here on the station because you can't walk yeah. away a space station. Yeah. In the future, I think there like there are episodes with interesting astropolitical consequences that have better framing and that you you get to that play on DS9 strings a little bit more better. I think.
1: Yeah, although even even though this episode is it like I would I would classify it like largely just in the downer.
0: Yeah, i I think like, it, I think it like works as a downer. I just think like it's, it's something where it's like, I want like 40% more of this episode. I think
2: it's an effective downer, but I don't think it's an effective episode. Yeah. I don't think it's well done. I mean, aside from being like flawed in, 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 in various ways, I also think it's not well made. (laughs) So yeah,
1: there's some, there's some fun, fun bits. They've got Jake and Nog, um, with uh anytime one, there's Jake
2: wh- and Dog, I'm yeah. into it.
1: Yeah. The the what's entomology, the study of bugs. Oh, so she wants to be a chef.
2: I died. That, that, at that right? line. That I had Nog. to pause. I was yeah. laughing so hard.
1: Uh Fucking such a good Nog line. Is
2: hilarious.
1: Um, we've also got Quark tracking his figures hourly, like an obsessive little troll. Okay,
2: I wanted to come back to this.
1: Yeah.
2: I can't blame Quark. Quark runs a casino.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And
2: yeah. he's got a guy playing like super soporific.
0: He's playing the DS9 Pla- theme. Yes, he's playing yes,
2: the DS9 playing... theme
1: I, super that, that
2: soporifically is... and chilly.
1: And I got to say, that is possibly my favorite part of this episode is that we start in on, we 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 hit that musician playing at Quark's and just the fucking Deep Space Nine theme. Yeah,
2: yeah. it's very good. And it's beautiful. It's well rendered. But I get it. Like nobody's gambling. People are just like laying there, falling asleep at their tables. I I respect why he's upset about it. Yeah. And props to the to the musician.
0: Yeah. If Kira I'm talks to him, be- and he's
2: like, "That's fair. Like I'm playing in a casino. I should probably play something appropriate for the audience. Yeah. Everybody if, there if,
0: is. If I'm in a sports bar, I do not want to hear. I, I do not want to hear poetry."
1: Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not looking to hear like, I don't know, Claire de Lune or something like that. You want to hear some, some, some fucking Chumbawumba, you know?
1: Yeah, but it's but it's also it's not like it's you know it's also like all of that is completely valid, but also Cork is just being like an obsessive little troll. Well, right? the, f-
2: the fact that he calculates his profit hourly or whatever it is that he says, yeah, yes, is an it's- obsessive
0: god. Can I mean, you imagine what? what Ferengi math classes are like.
1: Yeah. And it's like, my dude, you don't, you don't even pay rent. You don't have an energy bill. All of this is comped by the goddamn Federation. Like you are the only, like the only, and you have replicators. The only thing you have to pay out is salary.
2: Yeah. It's, but I mean, it makes sense. Like you have to imagine that Ferengi math is entirely economics. And yeah, uh, they probably have statistics for like.
0: Oh, they get—they yeah, definitely have oh, statistics. Yeah. Well, and they're wanna, a
2: spacefaring I, culture, so they probably eventually. Okay. Do we think that the Ferengi ever invented their own ships? Or do we
0: think that. Um, they cannon that the Ferengi. Traded. The Ferengi bought warp drive from another civilization.
2: No. Nah, so, okay. So that makes sense that they they. That was where I was going with that. That they. Yeah. They bought uh, the spacefaring technology from someone else.
0: All right. Yeah, I always love the races who have like, or Earth species who have like some weird, uh, uh, like some weird, like uh, uh, we we went to warp uh, in a different way. Um, right now, the um, the Star Trek comic series. Is doing a thing on the Zen Cathy, who we will meet later on in the series, who have a unique way of doing warp. Uh, and I'm like, I always, I like, especially in sort of the technology, technology in Star Trek is a lot like Mass Effect, where everything works sort of the same. Yeah. Um. So, like, whenever anything, anything like actually looks a little different, I do appreciate that.
1: And we'll get we'll also get to see directly the the Bajoran version of that too.
0: Oh um, yeah, in the, oh, in the
1: episode where uh, Cisco yeah, yeah, is, is yeah, that the yeah, one yeah, where yeah. he uh, is that the one where he grows a beard or one that he shaves his head? It's
0: one I think of it's them. the
1: beard. I think yeah. it's the beard. I think it's one of the like three episodes where he has both a beard and hair.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because you no, guys he,
2: are, the way you guys track episode positions <laughs> based on hair is very funny
1: it's a very important part changing point in the series okay yeah
0: yeah it's basically like yeah not to get to we'll we'll probably revisit this but um there is a basically like cisco or avery brooks like i think like he he like his default like he he does the bald head beard uh, like or goatee and yeah um it was like really tied with his like his character uh that he did on his previous series uh uh Hudson Hawk mm-hmm. which like at first the network was like hey we want you to like look a little differently so that people don't associate you with the your old character which was like a very different show from Star Trek
1: uh, i i are you talking uh, is is this anything like captain quantum leap um
0: but and, and like eventually over the series he's just like i am i am shaving my head and i am growing a beard and there's yeah. think you could just stop me and they're like cool that's fine yeah <laughs> like, yeah the, the show is the show works it's,
1: and, it, and it's like weirdly like a defining like change point in the show so this is why we track it yeah. got it Oh, there's, there's one other fun bit in this um, that I enjoyed when Kira comes to Hanique's quarters and like the goddamn like, is, like is it the middle of the night or something? Anyway, like they're all yeah. sleeping. All the screens are sleeping. And like Hanique like blearily, blearily comes out of the bedroom to ch- to talk with Kira. And then all of her husbands blearily come out of the bedroom to follow her. And yeah. Kira's like... You sleep with all of them? And Hanika's just like, yes.
2: What do you do with your males?
1: What yeah. do you do with males? You fuck them. All of them. All at the same time. Like, this is normal. And I I appreciate this.
2: <laughs> Kira's reaction to that information is very interesting. <laughs> it's not played for, like, yucks or laughs or, like, Kira definitely is like, Hmm. Now it's not clear, like, why she's interested in that, but she's clearly like, I'm just curious who the other guy she's thinking about is, because clearly she's thinking about her priest boyfriend, but, like, who's the other guy she wants to, to be taking to bed besides her priest boyfriend?
1: It's Dax. <laughs> All right.
0: Uh. <laughs> Okay, we got any other things that we want
2: to? No, I I would honestly be offended if you tried to end it on any other note than.
0: Oh, oh no! I do have I do have one thing that requires a headphones moment.
2: <laughs> All right. Oh, we, we should probably talk about the fact that they mentioned the Dominion in oh, yeah, the. Like oh yeah, a, that's
0: yeah. actually what I have to second. talk about. <laughs> um, it's a <an>, it's <laughs> a throwaway
2: line. Their yeah. their planet. They were driven off their planet by one species. Who then got driven who who got raffle stomped by yeah, the Dominion.
0: They, they were they were enslaved by the Tarogrins, uh, who then got nuked by and this is the part where I need Jude to remove his headphones. Okay. They got Jeb the fuck, right?
1: Right, yeah. Or yeah. or like or they got like plagued or something, you know? Yeah, like, no, like one like, of those things.
0: Yeah, I mean, I imagine that like the Turograns being a conqueror species, but it was just like we are sending in the Jeb Hadar Surprise, bitch! Yeah, yeah, um, and yeah, that happened. Okay, that was it. That was it. I was just like, I was like, yeah, no, nah, the Jeb Hadar did that, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: <laughs> Sorry, I was.
0: I, I just had like to that. make a joke to Anna that was spoilery. Uh, All right. Yep. So we that's all we got for this one uh tune in next time we're gonna be covering episodes 11 and 12 of season two rivals and the alternate until next time just, just keep circling keep circling just keep circling
1: just keep circling
0: yeah keep just circling. keep circling just keep circling, keep circling.